Welcome to the first episode of Outside Innovation, which is the podcast version of my weekly blog that you can find at www.pauliteyler.com. The first few episodes will be almost word-for-word audio recordings of the blog with perhaps a little more context and exploration of the source material. Later episodes will respond to some of the comments and challenges on the posts and may also feature some guests. So, to the first episode. How do we emerge from a state of fear? Be afraid. Be very afraid. That is how the media approach COVID. Be afraid of everything. Be afraid of being tall. Be afraid of being bald. Be afraid of going to the shops and accepting home deliveries. The fear-mongering is relentless. Be afraid of your pets. Be afraid for your pets. Just be afraid. That's a quote from Laura Dodsworth. In August last year, I went back to the office. The first time I'd been to a workplace since March. As I arrived, I felt sick, even though I'd felt perfectly healthy just 30 minutes earlier. I recognised it for what it was. Anxiety. Like the feeling of a first day at school. If I'm honest, I briefly considered cancelling the meeting. I wasn't frightened of the virus. I was just frightened of being around people. I bit the bullet and walked inside. As we emerge from a pandemic, in the UK at least, it's necessary to reflect how changed we have become and whether that change is permanent or temporary. A study into COVID anxiety syndrome, which is characterised by a fear of public places, compulsive hygiene habits, worrying about the virus and frequent symptom checking, showed that 46% of the affected people feared returning to public transport, 44% feared touching things, while 35% admitted checking on their family members and loved ones for signs of COVID on a regular basis. Polling from Ipsos Mori suggests it may be more than 20% of the general populace that's suffering from a form of COVID anxiety syndrome. They say that 28% of British adults aren't looking forward to greeting uh, people with handshakes, hugs or kisses. 27% aren't looking forward to going to large public gatherings such as sport or music events. And 24% aren't looking forward to going to parties, weddings or, or celebrating birthdays. One in four fear meeting new people. I know of a fully vaccinated family friend who wants a hug from her fully vaccinated son more than anything in the world. He won't give it to her. More than half of Britain say they have not yet hugged a relative or close friend since restrictions on personal contact were eased. Fear is a natural, powerful and primitive emotion. It involves a biochemical response as well as a high individual emotional response. Fear alerts us to the presence of danger or the threat of harm whether that danger is physical or psychological. Fear is necessary. And marketeers have understood the unique value of fear for decades. It's no surprise that the media has used the pandemic to sell more of their adverts. However, sex sells and fear compels. And according to the new book by Laura Dodsworth, COVID has seen the government use fear as a behavioural nudge on a mass scale. Laura isn't a COVID denier, but has written about how tactics that sometimes wouldn't pass the ethics of a social experiment have become normalised. In the paper, Options for Increasing Adherence to Social Distancing, the UK government were advised on 22nd of March 2020 that a substantial number of people, and I'm quoting, still do not feel sufficiently personally threatened by COVID. And it could be that they are reassured by the low level of death in their demographic group. 
It goes on to say in bold, the perceived level of personal threat needs to be increased among those who are complacent using hard-hitting emotional messaging, end quote. Now, I think most of us would agree that in an emergency situation, a degree of behavioural nudging, a science I'm actually a fan of, is necessary. The question that the book raises is the ethical position of how long this should continue, the tactics for ramping up unnecessary fear, and the long-term effect on society if anyone in authority becomes too addicted to using fear as a nudge. Britain has been a world leader in behavioural insights since David Cameron set up the nudge unit. But has the nudge become a shove? The book argues we went too far and that messaging that was initially designed to help us stay safe by scaring us has been so effective that we quickly became the most frightened nation in Europe, with people significantly overestimating the spread and fatality rate of the disease. For instance, the British public thinks that 6-7% to of the population have died from coronavirus. That's around 100 times the actual death rate based on official figures. Now, I don't go as far as Laura in her critique of behavioural insights as paternalistic. I think nudge can have a place, a valid place, in health, housing, justice and the social sector in general. Where I'd agree with her is the point about the ethical question about the overuse of fear as a motivator. It will be at least a couple of years before we can tell whether the cards were overplayed and we understand the long-term impact and any potential damage. Epidemics will come and go, but our basic psychology is here to stay. I countered my fear by getting back in the office and by having weekends away when I could. I went back to the gym and back to the pub on the day they reopened. The best way to emerge from a state of fear is by being social, looking after friends and neighbours and being part of a community. The very things we were told to be afraid of are ironically the root out of this particular crisis. Thanks for listening to Outside Innovation and it would be appreciated if you'd subscribe to this wherever you are listening and even better if you leave a review. Have a great week and see you next time.